everyone, and welcome back for the next edition of the Sports Pro Stream Time Podcast. My name is Chris Stone. I'm the community lead, joined as always by our CEO, Nick Meacham. How's everything going this week for you, Nick? Or I guess technically the weekend. You know, it's only Monday here now, so hopefully the first day has been good. But how was your weekend? Not too bad, actually. Well, I spent most of it recovering from my first indoor volleyball match in several years. Uh, and uh, I can tell you that my old body, weary body, is is not prepared to get too physical so it took me a little while to get up and walking straight my back and my back and hip was um maybe sort of walking like on, on a right angle almost for, for a day or so but I'm, I'm back up and walking at least in a reasonable fashion so worked out that i either should stop playing soon or i need to do a lot more physio and training to get my body back into shape but otherwise i'm i'm i'm, I'm okay it was good to get out there and get competitive once again after several years off the the indoor courts yeah, well, I made a not so smart decision while coaching on Sunday. I punched the ground in anger and, uh, you know, thankfully wow. it's been a little bit rainy and wet here in the UK. So, uh, you know, I'd like to say the ground felt it more than I did, but probably for the best of the ground was a little bit soft. You know, Nick, I'm I'm a gambler when it comes to uh, football coaching. I, I onside kick every time. That's just the way I like to live life on the edge. Um, and we we should have recovered all three. Um, and we didn't recover the last one. I was a little, little disappointed by it. Uh, got a little upset, but you know, it's okay. First game of the year they'll, 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 they'll learn, but you know, I play a very exciting brand of football that I think people would enjoy watching. Love it. Onside kick every time. I think, uh, that's, that's playing it like how I used to play Madden when I was a, I was a kid, you know, just try and get the ball back every time, throw, throw bombs, trying to get onside kicks, just, just all out blitz uh is that your style also all out blitz attacking attacking everyone every play or you are you're building up slowly in your your offense and defense so in the words of uh bruce arians former uh tampa bay super bowl winning coach been around the league no risk it no biscuit so that's how i like to live by football coaching at least at the university level with the gb team i have to be a bit more uh, cautious because i could be fired from my job but the university level over here in the uk they're just pretty happy i'm such an active participant and volunteer they let me kind of do what i like so yeah no risk it no biscuit love it love it brits do love a biscuit don't they 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 do indeed but also speaking of you know winning biscuits and all those good things nick you know it's a couple busy mm. weeks for us leading up into the ott summit uh which also includes the ott awards which i think we've mentioned before is going to be a black gala event um so i'm looking at or sorry black tie gala i'm looking say, at I'm not sure what a black new, gala dinner at black gala yeah, yeah, yeah. is but uh <laughs> black tie gala there we go yep i don't get a lot of these things nick you know i'm just a kid from <laughs> ohio right like i don't even know what a you know a tux is uh but i am looking at getting a new outfit but nonetheless you know the ott T Summit is coming up, uh, something we're very excited about. It should be the biggest event, I think, in sports pro history, just in terms of the size of the number mm -hmm. of the people that will be there. Um, and we also want to say, you know, we've mentioned this before, you know, the stream time community, you guys are ones that we enjoy hearing from, whether it's LinkedIn, whether it's emails. And we just want to say, if you haven't already booked your ticket, we would love to have you there. Uh, we do have a discount for you. Uh, it's a 30% discount either on full access or standard passes. Uh, when you go to purchase that pass, the code is streamtime 30 So that's all one word, streamtime, like the podcast always is. And then the number 30. So if you haven't already booked your ticket, we'd love to have you out there. Um, and there is that little bit of a discount that you can get as someone that listens to the streamtime podcast. We want to try to provide some value for your loyalty. And, you know, Nick, what, what about you? Is there anything in particular you're excited about for the OTT Summit coming up? There is there is a lot I'm excited about, actually. Um, you know, we're trying some new formats. There's going to be a lot of interesting people in there. I was looking through the attendee list the other day, and you're getting people from every major rights holder down to all the little guys who are all trying to work out the OTT streaming space. So it's really interesting. You get this sort of concoction of all these sports properties, all these broadcasters, coming together and they're still in this hole we're trying to work things out like we want to find the answers that's what they're coming to these things so it's quite cool it's quite a, a melting pot right a lot of conversations a lot of people sharing a lot of people going oh crap we've got the same problems as you oh that's great anyone got the answers and that's what they're there for so plenty to dig into at the moment a lot's happened in the industry in the last 12 months uh, and this event will be you know as i said more than 50 percent bigger than what we did last time when we did it in the uk um lots of cool people talking yeah we've got people coming from uh you know in terms of speakers let's have a look at the some of the speakers we've got here uh we've got the uh, general manager of DAZN spain which is obviously spain's one of the DAZN's biggest markets i'll be speaking with andrew georgiou who's 
I think his job title has changed four times since I have been uh, seeing him in that company. But I think he's president of Discovery Sports and something else in Europe. But anyway, he's the he's the he's the the well, actually, sorry, not Discovery anymore, is it either? That's the other reason it's changed. President and managing director of Europe for Warner Brothers Discovery. Apparently, that's what it is these days. Um, so I'm talking to him. Uh, we've also got Keith Pelly, who's the CEO of DP World Tour, which is a, a fascinating, uh, in a fascinating situation in the golf industry at the moment. So getting him, I like the fact that we've got now CEOs coming into this event, wanting to talk about OTT and streaming and digital, because it just shows where we've we've come to in this industry, where it's playing such a central role in the entire way sports is being shaped. So there's a few names off the top of my off the top of my head, uh, and now not so off the top of my head because I'm now looking at a page of them. Uh, and I'm also talking to Ralph Rivera, who's the MD of NBA Europe and Middle East, which should be a, a pretty wide-ranging discussion, ranging from the new NBA app they've launched um, through to, I guess, to how they're tackling globalization and, and expanding into new markets. Um, so really interested just to talk to all those people because there's a lot of movement in this space right now. Yeah, well, you and I are also doing a couple sessions up on stage, one of them being a bold prediction session, which I think I've mentioned over a couple podcasts where we've gotten things right, some things maybe not so much, but that's the whole point. You know, you got to be able to take some no risk it, no biscuit. You know, if you don't make the big predictions, you don't get to, to gloat about it. If you pick all the easy things, everyone knows. But the other one I'm actually really excited about and, you know, maybe we'll get the people going a little bit is we're also going to do a, a power rankings. And, you know, everyone in sports is obviously very competitive. So I'm sure people will want to see where their organizations fall on our power list of the who's doing the best. We're going to break it down. We're going to have, I think we're calling them the big boys. So you're your, your Amazons, your ESPNs, your Warner Brother Discoveries, and then we're going to have a list for the rights holders, you know, the individual teams, leagues, clubs that are doing things. So I, you know, shamelessly, I'm going to go ahead and plug those two sessions. Absolutely. We've also got one with OnlyFans, which I think is an interesting one. Uh, I don't exactly know the old details, but I think it's to do with a rally driver who's got a, uh, a channel on OnlyFans, has been doing really well out of it, is talking about I guess building a subscription proposition around an athlete, if I remember correctly. So that's we've got some some interesting content that's not just in the, the traditional plug and play stuff that'll be well worth checking out. Yeah, well, it's sort of the OnlyFans. It's it's provocative. It gets the people going. So I think people uh, think of uh, OnlyFans in one way. And, uh, you know, when I heard about it, I was like, uh, excuse me. Uh, but yeah, they're going to talk about sports. So it should be exciting. But also speaking of exciting stuff, Nick, you had the opportunity to interview someone late last week. And I say that in terms of late, just based on the time zones. And you are just so dedicated to the Sports Pro Stream Time podcast um, that you stayed up well past my bedtime uh, to make sure that interview is done. But you got to speak again with one of your fellow Aussies. I feel like we've done a couple of them now here recently, but you know, let the people know what we've got tuned in for this week's episode. Yeah, um, last week uh, on this episode, I spoke with uh, the chief commercial and content officer for Foxtel, Amanda Lang. Now, Chris, if I asked you, how would you describe Foxtel? How would you? What do you think Foxtel is? They're Australian. <laughs> good, a good start, a good start. But Foxtel, I would describe as like the equivalent of like merging BT Sports telco business uh, and merging it in with BT uh, with Sky Sports in terms of the breadth on their uh, content library. Like Foxtel is an absolute powerhouse, and uh, in the in the pod in the podcast we sort of dig into it a bit more detail. I would say they're like pound for pound or per capita one of the most probably the most influential broadcast sports broadcaster uh, in their respective market. So what I mean by that is, you know, Australia is only a population of about 25 million, but in terms of the scale of rights, in terms of the scale of audience, in terms of all the different platforms and channels they have, they must be up there with right at the top of sort of the, the, the marketplaces that you would compare them to, like in the US and UK is actually having the most impact in their respective market, um, which we obviously will dig into a bit. Now, we dig into some of the details of Foxtel. Foxtel has uh, KO, which is a sports streaming platform, has Binge, which is an entertainment streaming platform, has its pay TV network. Um, and we dig in all the details there about why the, did they decide to create a single platform. If you think about what we've had on the pod before, Chris, when we've talked about the sports and entertainment side and whether or not 
you know you blend them together to create the sort of the, the, the ultimate library of content that people will come and stay for we dig into why they decided not to do that why they decided to create a streaming platform uh, that sits um, as a separate separate entity altogether. There's not even a bundling there of those two platforms, which you'll you'll hear a bit more about shortly. Um, and we just dig into even a little bit more about the complexities of the Australian market, the monetization play. Uh, I think there's some really interesting things in there about how they are and they are not approaching some of the innovations you're hearing about uh, across the industry around you know D2C and OTT, et cetera. So uh, there's a lot of really interesting stuff in here. But Look, it's probably enough time. It's about time for me to hand over to me talking to Amanda Lang from Foxtel. So, Amanda, before we jump into the conversation, we have quite an international audience that will, will be tuning into this one. So I think it'll be worth painting the picture of what the Foxtel Group really is. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, you have Foxtel Pay TV Network and the primary platform at the heart of everything. You have KO, the sports streaming platform, which we'll talk a little bit more about. You've got Binge, the entertainment streaming platform. You've got Flash, the new streaming platform. Then you have Fox Sports and Foxtel Media. And I even saw Tubi listed in the Foxtel Media Group, which is a, which in my eyes was a US ad-supported platform. So there's lots in there. And for further context, you guys have surpassed over four and a half million subscribers uh, across your platforms per the latest um, numbers released. So Look, you must be one of the most influ influential pay TV operators per capita uh, in the world, if I'm not mistaken. So, firstly, have I missed anything? And how would you how would you explain Foxtel's place in the Australian market? Yes, well, you've sort of uh, you've I suppose listed off the the various assets within the group, but each of them plays a very different role. And we Foxtel have been around as a you know a classic pay TV operator for about 25 years in Australia and encompassed obviously was Fox Sports, um, which provided channels, and then Foxtel Entertainment channels, and we have obviously third-party channels like ESPN or BBC or Discovery, so third-party provider channels. And really what happened a few years ago was we realised that actually, unlike other markets, particularly the, the US and the UK, the penetration of that, that high, you know, that high ARPU, you know, ex more expensive premium pay TV product was meant that it, in Australia, it, it never got more than sort of 30% penetration. So here we were with all these magnificent rides and actually 70% of the population that had never, hadn't bought our product and, and wasn't enjoying that content. And so uh, it seemed, you know, ripe for disrupting ourselves, which is obviously a brave thing to do, but ultimately a wise thing to do. And so KO was the first of those products that we, we introduced um, uh, back in 2018 um, to start to, to exploit those rights across a broader population. And of course, the way people are consuming content, sport and entertainment has changed dramatically. So there's this whole streaming generation out there who weren't subscribing to Foxtel, which meant they weren't getting all that sports content. So we launched KO. Uh, we followed that up with launching Binge, which is our entertainment product, as you talked about, and then Flash, our, our new streaming product. Foxtel Media is our ad sales company that um, sells advertising for all of our products, but they also sell advertising for our third-party channel partners um, on, on our platforms. And, of course, now they are selling advertising into KO, into the live streams that are in KO, um, and obviously, that's a really, really great new revenue stream. So, that, you know, each of each part of the, the the empire, if you will, each part of it serves a different purpose. And certainly, the launch of the streaming product was seeking to reach out and touch this large portion of the Australian population that had never had these, you know, mm -hmm. a, a pay these this entertainment sports content through a streaming product. So, it makes a lot of makes a lot, lot of sense how you got to that point but just take us a little bit further into that how you talked about some of the numbers there but that's not an easy decision to make you know it was quite a a market leading uh move not just in australia but really globally in terms of making a big leap into a uh, let's say a sector or genre focused uh streaming product so how did you get to the decision to launch or ko at the time what was what were some of the other considerations before you decided to to make the move hmm. well, well as you say it, it was brave because of course, you have a fear when you have a, a very a, a 
a big uh, subscriber base with a product like Foxtel, very established, very loved, um, and with a premium product and, and value and driving it, you know, very high ARPU. It's very, you know, you, you're concerned about churn. You're concerned about, well, if I launch these other products, will people leave the Foxtel product to go to the other product? And, uh, you know, I think that because the style of the product is very different and who the product is really aimed at is very different, we were confident that that wasn't going to happen and we were right um, um, in that. And so, as I said, the genesis of it really was the fact that we had a large proportion of the Australian population who, 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 you know, we weren't monetizing our content across that population. So with all of our products, our sports and our entertainment products, we have a this philosophy that we refer to it as, um, you know, one kitchen, many restaurants. We, you know, we buy in the content and then we're able now to monetize that content across various products. And that's really the magic of it because, of course, if you're having to buy, especially sports rights, which are, as we all know, rather expensive if you had to buy separate rights for each product it's hard to make that model work if not impossible but when you can buy in once and then exploit across multiple products that serve different purposes that serve that content up in different ways when you think about the ko experience with its multi-screen and it's you know it's all the, the, the ability to sort of to get um, to swipe in and out to key moments of the product, some of the 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 um, the features that are on Kaya that aren't on your classic pay TV product, but with your classic pay TV product, you've got 4K. You can lean back with your remote and you can navigate your entertainment content and your sports content and 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 your free to air station, you know, content. That's a different experience. So if you want that, that's where you go. But there's this large number of people who want that very different streaming um, sort of. A focused experience and so we were confident that by delivering that we wouldn't have this massive churn from people out of our Foxtel product. It makes a lot of sense the the sort of lean back versus lean in uh, concept and and that's really seemed to be paying dividends across the industry now. The The idea though that you split your entertainment from sports I think is a really interesting one because we've seen, uh, I've spoken to people like David Gandler, CEO of Fubo TV on, on this pod, we've spoken to the guy uh, Andrew Georgiou who you're pretty familiar with from Dis- Discovery um, who, who talked about the that relationship or that sort of the correlation, yeah, the relationship, the dynamic between sports content and the entertainment. Um, the, the line that Dave Ganley uses is, come for the sports, stay for the entertainment, um, which is a, which a nice, nice line, but something that he's lent into there. I'm just curious then, how did you get to that decision to split them and ra- rather than keep them in and add all those layers you, you, you talked about before with KO in particular, mm. I guess have them as a separate product altogether. Was it because you went KO first and that was so successful or was there more to it? Well, I think um, the, the, that that phrase you use is is quite true of Foxtel. You you find people often say, "Oh, I only have Foxtel for the sport," but of course, when you look at the actual consumption, that's not right. They they're, they're watching Below Deck and they're watching Real Housewives or they're watching Great Nature docos or they're you know or watching incredible dramas. So you know that, that sort of come for the sport, for space, space, stay for the entertainment. I think for Foxtel, it was quite right. I think when you think about um, why this works for us and in Australia. Part of it is about our quite unique um, proposition. Because we have so much sport and so such a rich variety of sports in the Foxtel group. So it's not like we have a, it's, it's really quite unusual by even global standards to have a sporting product, a streaming sports product that has over 50 sports. So it's not a product that's got one or two key sports. We have over 50 sports. And so there's such a rich offering there that you can sort of afford to have just the sports offering without entertainment in that standalone streaming product. That is quite unusual globally. Mm. And Australia is also, um, in many respects, as you, you would appreciate, quite an unusual market too. When you think about our major winter codes being rugby league and AFL, Australian rules football, they are, I mean, obviously they, they, they are played elsewhere in the, in, around the world, but they are two like really strong domestic winter sports. Now they battle it out with some other sports, but they are the major winter sports and quite Australian focused. They're not sort of a you know, big global sports like, like some others, like whether it's, you know, the, the, the EPL or the NBA or something. So, 
So we have a really rich offering of sports from Formula One to our, you know, to cricket, to rugby league, to AFL, to golf. You know, we have all these global sports, the, the, this, this rich sport. So again, that you had enough there to have a sports only offering. And we felt that that was enough, that we didn't need to have, um, we didn't need to have entertainment in that offering. Um, and then obviously we, we then felt that binge, like your Netflixes, like your, your sort of your Disney Pluses, which are entertainment only products, certainly in this country, uh, that they could each stand on their own two feet. Mm-hmm. And do you think that that was obviously the logic then? Now, fast forward a few years down the line, they're quite mature in their, their development and execution. Do you see a world where they do come together uh, again or are you quite happy keeping them as standalone propositions? Well, look, look, we we haven't done so yet. We've we haven't um, ever sort of bundled them up together and offered them for a different price. And I think that that um, you know there may come a time that 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 makes sense. We we I think like everyone in both the sports and entertainment space at the moment, uh, you never say never. Things that you never thought you'd do three years ago, you're now doing. Every deal you do um, is utterly different from the one before. Uh, and I, again, I say that across both entertainment and in sports. So what, the things you're willing to do now in relation to holdbacks or windowing or exclusivity or you know, co-exclusivity, the new term used to be called non-exclusive, now it's called co-exclusive, <laughs> yeah, and things that are non-exclusive. So the, the, you know, all of these things, um, there is no such thing as a cookie-cutter deal. Every deal is different. Every deal is bespoke. It's bespoke to the sport or the entertainment product. It's bespoke to that the time when that deal is struck and what the competitive landscape looks at that moment in time. And so um, it may be that we think that that makes sense down down the track. We we haven't felt the need to do that yet, uh, but it may be that it makes sense at some point. I, we just, I just don't know. We wouldn't make any hard and fast rules about that. Well, you, you mentioned the term co-exclusivity. So let's dig into one of the deals you've done recently, which was announced, uh, which was the AFL rights that you've um, renewed and... Um, that deal, uh, if I have the details correct, obviously is with yourselves, uh, with Seven and also Telstra included in that for a quite an uptick tick in value. I think the revenue numbers are something like uh, reported Aussie 473 million up to 643. So it was at 473 in the last cycle. I'm not sure if those numbers are accurate, but that's what was reported. Um so I looked into that and there's, there's a bit in that deal, uh, as you talked about. Uh, I'm curious before we, well, I can give some extra details before we jump into it, but obviously you seem to have the majority of the home and away games for both the AFL and the AFL Women's uh, League as well, uh, excluding yeah. the grand final, uh, which yeah. will be broadcast on both Foxtel and KO. And you'll be creating a new product called Super Saturdays on the first eight rounds, which is quite interesting. Um, but the, the important bit is you will do some joint broadcasting and share some rights with with Seven. So I don't know if I've covered every all the key aspects there, but if I fill in any gaps, if, if you do have. But how that deal took a bit of time and work to get through for a few reasons. How how was that one in terms of negotiating uh, versus say the previous cycle? Yeah, well, it's always interesting when you're the incumbent. Uh, because both Seven, um, for those who might not know, both Seven and, and Foxhill held these rights uh, for some time and we've, we've shared the rights for some time. But the AFL is a national a, a game that's played nationally. Um, it's a very strong product. It's a very popular product. Uh, with the introduction of the AFLW, it is, you know, it is growing. I think the, st- the statistic that the AFL uses is that they'll need to open a new, there'll need to be a new AFL ground open every week for the next five years to meet the demand um, coming up through the grassroots. And and certainly the AFLW right down to you know, young girls starting to play AFL has really seen a great deal of growth in the game. And it's a product that we really believe in. We've been partners with them for a long time. So, you know, it, it's hard when you're defending something uh, because, you know, it's really important to you. It's certainly been very, very important to the growth of KO that the, our AFL fans and the AFL games and, and in, important to the continued growth and trajectory of, of KO and, and indeed um, the stability of Foxtel. When you're chasing something down, you know, it's a different it's a different dynamic in the deal, but it did take some months um, because it was very hard fought. It was very, very competitive uh, because it's a great product. It was difficult. So when you talk about the Super Saturday franchise, if you will, that, that is something that goes to the point of exclusivity that you talked about before. For us, it was really important that we had some exclusivity, that we had a reason. We're a subscription product. People have to have a reason to come 
and pay money to see the games that they can't see on free-to-air. You know, for many people, what they're seeing on free-to-air may be sufficient for them. But if you want to see your team play every single week for the whole season, you need to have KO or Foxtel. And so we need to make sure at the start of the season there's a reason for people to come and subscribe. And a bit like the sort of come for the sports, stay for the entertainment, what we believe is that once people come to our product and they then experience the quality of our product, the convenience of our product, the you know our commentary teams, our graphics, our innovation, all of the things that we provide to the sport and to the fan and our obsession with providing you know innovation at, at all times. We've always, as part of what we do, it's part of why we are the preferred partner for so many sports because we do things that no contract has ever asked us to do. We invest in new technology, cool ways of doing things, innovative ways of shooting sport, what, you know, interaction with the athletes, heroing the sports, championing the athletes. No contract asks us to do that, but we do that uh, above and beyond always. And that's a matter of trust and re the relationship we have with our partners. And that's part of what you, you need to keep promising. So once you, we know that once we get people through the door of paying for our product, and of course, paying for sport is you know, completely normalised now in, uh, globally, but certainly in Australia, you know, we're confident then that we can get them to stay because of the quality of the product. You know, importantly, one of the important parts of the AFL deal was we would now be able to do our commentary, provide our commentary and graphics on every game. That was important to us because we know that that makes a difference to how much people enjoy our product and the retention of customers. So, so all the, the, the negotiation process the deal is positioned as a one with the three parties I mentioned, seven, yourselves and, and Telstra. You guys are by far the, the core player in the, that deal. I'm just fascinated. How does a deal like that come to fruition? Because you obviously had Nine and Stan in, in the mix, which, um, you know, free to air plus their own streaming service. Then you have... 10 and Paramount, no doubt, going forward as well, who've obviously secured the A-League rights, which we've talked about before. I've actually had their CCO on uh, last year, I think, at some stage. And we've talk talked about that deal in place, which is in a unique deal in itself. So, yeah, serious competition in the mix. I'm just wondering how, when you get to a situation where you're in this negotiation, uh, and in some instances, seven other competition for rights, when does that does that actually change? Are you therefore going to seven and, and working out a joint bid or are you having to mediate all that through the AFL? I'm just curious how that all plays out. Well, yes. I mean, we, we in the past um, have, 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 have used different structures at different times and sometimes a, you know, a, joint, a joint bid or a sub-licensing arrangement is appropriate and, and the best way to get the best result ultimately for the sport but obviously for those who are also wanting, wanting the rights. But in this instance, that was all done by the AFL. The AFL... Uh, that's how they wanted to run their process. And at the end of the day, it, the, the sports dictate how the process will run. Uh, it's not something that, you know, you have the ability to really to dictate. And so we, 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 had to, we had to work with them on that. Now, you have the benefit of having been a partner, sort of not a formal partner, but being in partnership in a sense on the sport for some time. So you, you weren't coming from a standing start and neither was the AFL. So, but it, things did have to go through the AFL. But the competition, as you say, was 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 fierce, and and I can only I can only go on what's reported as 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 well. But certainly, um, what was reported was that there was actually more money on the table from another bidder that was one entity that had both free to air and um and a pay pay product in in, in Paramount Plus and Channel Ten. And ultimately, though, the commission, the, the AFL commission, um, an executive have to make a decision that is about risk, it's about trust, it's about the quality of the product, it's about who you believe is going to represent your sport, but let's face it, the next decade basically, mm. um, and do who really believes in the partnership and really believes in helping you grow your sport. So it was really important for the AFL, for example, to continue to grow AFL outside the traditional AFL states of, you know, uh, Victoria, of course, the, the heartland, um, WA, South Australia, they've got desires to sort of have a team in, in Tasmania in due course, but really they wanted to grow in New South Wales and Queensland. So it was important 
that for us and for them to find a way through that. And they, so a big part of it is about trust. And so ultimately there's an X factor in these negotiations. And I, again, I find this both across entertainment um, deals with major Hollywood studios as well as in sports deals. Yes, of course, money matters. Of course it does. But there's a there's a, there's an element there of of trust and stewardship, and and you really are the partner of of that sport to help them grow their sport because our in that our interests are utterly aligned. We need the sports to grow. They need us to grow. The more we grow, the better for their sport. The more reach we have, the more we can help them with their grassroots and participation and pathways and other very important elements. And also, we provide a lot of magazine programming, panel programming, analysis, all the other things that the super fan really needs and wants and is craving. So there's something every night of the week that helps them engage with their sport. You've got me sold, and I would be giving you those rights in, in a heartbeat. Uh, I remember you know, growing up in, in Australia and watching uh, the Fox Sports uh, coverage, and it was by far the best in class. Um, I think I watched the news roundup and show repeat, on repeat far too many times sometimes just because it, it, it's done so well. Um, we've talked a lot about this on the podcast, but the balancing act between you know these 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 new arrivals to the market, like your Amazons, for example, as well, which provide a great opportunity very exciting to have the name uh on the on the sort of the, the, the array of partners but what they don't bring is that shoulder content the extra coverage and marketing they they bring a platform and they bring existing consumers but they don't provide a lot of insight in, in data in the audience and they don't do much else to support um i'm aware of hearing reports about some of the deals uh in the u.s the the reports around the f1 deal that was done with espn was that um amazon was offering a lot more money for but they didn't want to take that risk because of the the lack of reach that amazon does provide they have a, they have great households but they don't provide all the 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 race to race coverage that you sort of talked about with what you do from an afl and other sports perspective i'm just wondering where that's got to in terms of you know, I'm hearing all the all the media rights contracts are a lot bigger these days, and there's a lot more details and nuance. Are you getting into the detail of what sort of extra shoulder and peripheral and programming you're going to provide to support that in a lot of detail? You said some of it you're going over and above, but I imagine there's a layer of a minimum commitments, I suppose, of extra stuff you're doing to just to help. Yeah. I guess put everyone at ease at what the, where the priorities lie. I suppose. Well, actually, interestingly, for for our organisation, and I was I was in free to air before I I came to Foxtel five years ago. Honestly, that is, it's either not in the contract or it's a diminished part of the contract when you're contracting with Foxtel. Why? Because it goes without saying. I mean, we're the organisation that have dedicated channels, you know, to cricket, to rugby league, to to AFL. Uh, so. Yeah, it's sort of, it's almost, you don't need to specify in a contract because we're always going to have that because that is who we are and what we do. Um, but I think that that certainly, um, I think when, when sports organisations contract with free-to-air, they think, they feel that, that is important and I, I think they're right mm -hmm. to specify that because, of course, free-to-air is a very different beast. They are ratings-driven organizations so their their decisions about what goes into prime time and what goes onto what channels is driven by the ratings of that show and thereby therefore the ad revenue that can be written into that show whereas we obviously being a subscription product we have a very different metric it's about you know how the engagement the engagement and the retention of those customers and so we want we you know we we go we don't we don't need to be um we don't need to be dictated to by Obviously, ad revenue is important, but that is not the primary driver of revenue for us. So our, we can also be very flexible with some sports. So some sports, like, for example, netball, where they've really had difficulty on free-to-air because when free-to-air want to schedule the games is not necessarily the best time for the sport to schedule their games, mm -hmm. to have the best attendance at games, um, and, you know, and, and other things that are good for that sport. Whereas when they've come to a subscription product, we can be a lot more flexible because we're driven, we've got a different model. So that's very helpful. The other thing that's very different, and again, I think quite unique about our offering, is that because we've got so many sports, what we're seeing, of course, is that it's this fantastic effect where people might come in as a 
rugby league fan. But once they're watching KL, they're watching Fox Sports, of course, they become a fan of other sports and vice versa. So mm-hmm. you might come in, you know, watching something on, you know, um, BN Sports or ESPN and then you, you happen to watch a, an AFLW game or you happen to pick up, see, see, see a different sport and suddenly your interest is peaked and you become a fan of that sport. So what we're seeing is this fantastic impact, effect where all boats rise because you're in an environment of sports fans. By definition, if you're watching Fox Sport or you've got KO, you are a sports fan. And what we find is most people are sports fans. They might be a fanatic about one sport, but they are a sports fan across three or four or five sports. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, to be in that environment, especially if you're a sport that's wanting to grow in Australia, what is the best place to find new sports fans? I would say the place where sports fans hang out. You know, so so that is a great that you know that's something that the the data is is telling us about people's activity when they come on board. So uh, I think that's also something we really that that is going to be um, obviously one of our strong suits going forward. Absolutely. Now, um, sticking with the AFL deal a bit, one of the the more contentious bits or challenging parts was the government getting involved, um, which. Um, which was basically they wanted, from what I understand, all the way over here in London, was that they wanted to make sure there was a minimum amount available on free-to-air. Um, I don't know if there's any more just you can give contextually on that because I'm a bit light on detail, but I'm just curious, how did that impact the, the, the conversations you were having with AFL at the time? Did it end up drawing out the deal? Uh, and did they really have a leg to stand on? Well, uh, we have a, uh, a, fa- a fascinating and unique, I think, relatively unique uh, legislated regime in Australia. For those who don't know, it's called the anti-siphoning regime. And it is in written into law, it's legislation, that certain um, so-called iconic sporting events have to be acquired by free-to-air. Mm-hmm. Now, um, we, we, I think, are believers that, look, it's great that Australians can have the ability to access certain sporting events at no cost. We would say that, that it doesn't need to be on free-to-air to be available for free. So we would say the legislation is, is really outdated and needs to be updated and, and changed. Um, but, but those comments that were made in the press by uh, by uh, reported across across the press at the time. So first of all, they did make, did create a lot of noise around the deal. So I suppose in some sense, although it's hard to measure, did it slow down things? Probably because it actually just meant that a bunch of people had to deal with a lot of noise coming out of um, mm. uh, various state governments and, um, and indeed the media. Uh, but it wasn't something that was unusual, unheard of, because it's all to do with the anti-siphoning regime. Um, so when you say did they have a leg to stand on, I mean they were talking about the anti-siphoning regime, but yeah. but in all of these major sports, you know, same with rugby league and other sports, content is behind some a lot of most of the content is behind the paywall. Then a certain amount of content, certain amount of games each week are in front of the paywall on free to air. Our position is that given particularly you know the the reach of of our products, to the extent that the government believes that it's good policy to have certain product available at no cost to the good people of Australia, we would say that that can be achieved by having, you know, we can have um, content in front of the paywall. We have a, we already have a product called KO Freebies, uh, and that is um, content that's in front of the paywall on KO. And in fact, when we did our netball deal, it was important to netball, which is a, which is a, 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 product, a sport that's really growing and trying to accelerate their growth, that on Sundays, their games are in front of the paywall. And then the other, the rest of their game, two of their games are in front of the paywall. The others are behind the paywall, and uh, we felt that was the right balance for that sport. So I think there was a lot of noise around that. Ultimately, we think that free is free, and the distribution methodology, particularly when you think about really you, the sort of how ubiquitous streaming and, and internet coverage is in, in in a country like Australia, we think free means free, and that's what the legislation should be amended to to reflect. Yeah, absolutely. And we're seeing a similar sort of conversation. I think the UK has a similar law, but maybe with more about events than, say, sports properties. So, But that is lightning. I think they're softening the rules on that a lot. So more of the rights are being 
you know, uh, mopped up or taken in by people like Sky, uh, Sky, Sky Sports is obviously one of the, the incumbent pay TV player in the UK. Although what's been interesting actually over here lately is we're starting to see a few of the pay TV operators. Uh, Amazon was another one uh, giving some of their rights back to free to air for landmark moments and events. So I think it was the Wimbledon final. I think it was um, yeah. a couple of others off the top of my head. And they see it as a marketing opportunity. They, it was quite unique, though. I think Amazon were able to keep their sort of Amazon watermarking on the free-to-air channels coverage, which was apparently unprecedented because they're not allowed to have advertising running on it. So it was a great investment for them. But my point is basically I think it's, it's, it is changing a lot in other markets as well uh, yeah. for, for the better. But equally, it's just... Sorry, I was going to say, I, just, I, I think that speaks to what we talked about before in relation to... I mean, that would be unheard of. People have, mm. wouldn't, wouldn't have dreamt of such a thing a few years ago, and yet now all these innovative, creative, differently structured deals are being done because people are and people are testing and learning. I suspect for Amazon that would, you know, test and learn. Let's see what this looks like. And it's that balance between what you do to whet someone's appetite and then because you believe that they're going to come back for more. You know, they, they, they'll love that enough that actually it's a great marketing moment. I mean, even in Australia, you see, I think people would have five years ago, six, eight years ago said, um, wouldn't have dreamt that Google would advertise on old-fashioned television, you know, free-to-air and subscription television, and yet there are their beautiful ads uh, on television, sort of new media advertising on old media. So it's it's very interesting that um, people are trying different things, uh, and I think that's a really interesting move. So just quickly, for I'm not exactly sure on the, the the dynamic between the KO versus Foxtel proposition. So how much are you charging for both platforms, just to get a sense of how the the, the, the metrics lie? So uh, KO entered the market at twenty five dollars a month. So you know that is obviously um, more expensive as you'd expect than say a lot of the ten dollar, fifteen dollar entertainment streaming products. But when you look at the value of the hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of, of, of content rights and, and value that are in that product, uh, we think that that represented really excellent value for customers. Uh, also, the, the, um, the features in that product. So not only is it all of that content, but we have uh, we started doing things called minis, which is sort of 15 or 20 minute cut down versions because of guests like, in the the attention economy um, and, uh, you know, people like to be able to snack on things. We also have snack or, or, or sort of bites, which is sort of five-minute version. So, again, you've got your full your full um, sport, you've got replays, you've, you can play the replays to stop at key moments or you can take the mini and look at that or you can take the snack, which is for your five minutes. And it's got multi-screen for the Formula One, for example. You can have, you can have you know, different different dashboards and different views of the car and all these different things. It's absolutely fabulous, completely immersive experience. So we think for $25, that represents excellent value. With Foxtel, we have a more traditional structure in relation to the buy-through of sport from a basic tier. So essentially to get the sports pack, you're looking at basic tier and then sport, that's more around the sort of Fifty dollar mark, but most people by that by that stage they would they probably want all of our content. They want all of the um, the the value like HD and multi room and all sorts of other things. Of course, everyone can record. That's that classic pay TV product. But really, most people then will take the premium or the platinum pack, which is going to be more sort of eighty to hundred dollars. But that's because they want absolutely everything in the highest possible quality. They want multi room. They want HD on everything. So they're the sort of relative price point. I'm just trying to remember now what the current exchange rate is. I think it's roughly two to one for the British pound for those playing at home who are curious what, it, what an Aussie dollar is. I should have mapped that out earlier. Um, that, so value-wise, I mean, if you compare that to other markets, I think even for the, the breadth of rights, it's a pretty significant uh, significantly of value at any level, whether it's a KO offering yeah. or um, or the Foxtel one. So how are you making decisions then on what of your rights is going to KO versus what's going into your Fox Sports or Foxtel package? Because that's always a conversation we're hearing a lot. You know, you have the ability to distribute accordingly. Are you keeping flexibility throughout and shifting things in and out? Or are you really mapping that out when you're doing deals like the AFL one and all the other deals you are putting in place? 
So fundamentally, as I said, we have this this mantra of one kitchen, many restaurants. So all the content we buy needs to serve and does serve our, our over sort of our 4.5 million plus subscribers. Now that's not really a surprise to anybody, but that is our fundamental approach. Of course, the difference between Foxtel, which is, you know, we are really stabilizing Foxtel. We've got the lowest churn in eight to 10 years on Foxtel. And that's we're retaining those customers. They are loyal customers. They love that product. And we need to make sure they've got everything that satisfies them on that product. With Kao, of course, a sports streaming product, there's a lot more seasonal churn. So you need to make sure you've got something 365 days a year that you want to make sure after the what we call the, what we call the winter code. So that's our AFL and rugby league product at the end of those products, which is the end of September. You need to make sure you've got enough to keep people excited. And sometimes that you know the cricket will be about to start, or we have other overseas products that are coming in. That make sure you can sort of you need to bridge that summer until. Um, those seasons start again. Now, of course, we've now got the, we've got the cricket over summer, which is fantastic, and we've got other sports coming through ESPN, the U ESPN, the the US sports coming over the summer as well. So KO is a little bit different because people are like they are with all streaming products, they churn in and out a little bit. They might pause for a month, they might pause for a month, then they come back for a month. Now that doesn't tend to happen on on Foxtel. They're, they're sort of they're a more stable base, but fundamentally, we do have we buy the same product. And we really make sure we're exploiting it in different ways to different audiences across those different products. Um, and the minis and the bites and all those things are across all of those products. It may be occasionally we have some content that there's not um, space on the channels on Foxtel that might might be available on Ko, but that is the exception rather than rather than sort of the the, the norm. Sure. One of the the other deals that comes to mind that. Grab my attention is a deal that I, I think from the outside in at least mimics a deal we saw in the US and that's the WWE deal going to, to binge. Now, when uh, WWE is lauded by many as one of the premier sports and entertainment media businesses, um, had they won, uh, have won numerous awards for their OTT platforms and what they've done on that side. And when they made that move, I think it was like a billion dollar five year deal if I remember correctly uh, in the US with Peacock, that caught a lot of attention when you were seeing this whole inertia behind sports properties going direct to consumer and going it alone, right? And that kind of shot everyone going, oh, okay, something's going on here. Why would they do it of all companies? Now, I've talked to Peacock since and WWE. They're all thrilled with a deal, though they would say that, uh, I would think. But um, they've since done the deal with you guys and you've obviously integrated it into Binge. Just talk us through, is it is it similar to the Peacock deal in terms of – the, the exclusivity of content how have you what is that what is that deal exactly yeah so it's similar in as much as we will be we will be their exclusive partner and by the way as you say we are absolutely thrilled with this deal because wwe it is this really unique fabulous colorful noisy mad product we absolutely love it and of course so what we've we've always had the the um the big your royal rumble rumbles your summer slam the you know the wrestlemania the really big events we've always had them on as pay-per-view events so these are people you know these are the these fans who'll pay 26 30 bucks 26 dollars or 30 bucks you know, to watch a, you know, a, an event um so we've always had those and we've always had some you know some some key some of their reality content and some of their other products on available on binge on ko and on Foxtel, it's actually one of the one of the rare uh, pieces of content that we actually have on Ko Binge and Foxtel. Uh, mostly, you know, of course, sport sport isn't on Binge and entertainment's not on Ko. But of course, as you said, it's a sports entertainment product, so it, it, it it's been across all of them. So when when they um, you know talked started talking to us about wanting to do something similar in Australia as they've done in the US, which is they wanted to close down their own OTT product, which you know is is successful as well. Uh, and really, I think by their own admission, they want to focus on what they're best at, and that is putting on, creating these storylines, creating these characters, and that is their core product. And so we were really excited about the opportunity. So we've done something similar. So we will actually have a dedicated 24-7 WWE channel on Foxtel. We will also have some key um, live events on Fox 8, which is one of our premier 
entertainment channel on Foxtel and W and Binge will be the exclusive streaming partner for WWE. So they'll have all of those events um, available on Binge. But importantly, what we made the decision to do was to incorporate those pay-per-view events into Foxtel and Binge. So if you're a Binge subscriber or you're a Foxtel subscriber, you get those amazing events, which have always, always hitherto been pay-per-view events. You get them as part of your subscription. And again, that's all about delivering value to those fans. And we know those fans, the ones that we already had and the ones that will no doubt you know, will be coming across to us from the, those who had the WWE standalone app, uh, you know, that represents extraordinary value to them. So we're really excited about that. We'll, we'll be rolling that out through December and January. Um, so that, that is exciting. Couple of quick questions on that one. Then, are you um, offering it as an add-on, or is it included into the main, the base it's package? Included. It's included. Included. See how generous and we are. Absolutely. What a what a deal. What a deal. You've got me sold. I've, I've said before. I'm I'm all in on the uh, the Foxtel families uh, platforms. But uh, I'm curious, how do you work through projecting what impact that's going to have? Because they obviously have their own platform or had their own platform. And in, in technically speaking, they must give you some idea of say the, the, your, the audience they have on those platforms. Are you then breaking down the numbers on what you expect that, that, that sort of sign up and acquisition rate can be and how helpful are they to help you shift people across? Are they really involved or is it now put up a little sign and then it's up to you guys to do the heavy lifting from there. No, not at all. I mean, one of the reasons we did this deal is WWE are one of the best organisations to deal with globally. They are people, uh, they really, really believe in their product. I mean, that's not that unusual, I suppose. People tend to, but they really believe in their product. They're passionate about their fans. They're passionate about giving their fans what they want. They would never... uh, just sort of sign a document and, and, and sort of leave you to your own devices. They're all about making sure that their product, their brand, you know, their characters, their storylines are really, really well represented. So having chosen a partner, um, now they were being courted by many in Australia. You can imagine everybody wants that big, bright, wonderful product on their platform. So, and this is the thing we're finding across both entertainment and sport, you know, all of our partners, have so much choice. They are being courted by everyone. But we, you know, we are their partner of choice. And that is because that trust factor, they know that we will take great care with their product. They know that we will, you know, respect their fans and and always fans first, customer first. So they have been, they're just such a brilliant organization to deal with, been unbelievably helpful. Um, because at the end of the day, this is their product. They want and they know as we do. I mean, we really believe that those WWE fans in Australia who had chosen to be subscribers to their their standalone over-the-top product, they're not going to turn their back on WWE. They're going to find the best place to watch it, and that will be Foxtel or Binge. You know, probably for, the, for those customers, it's probably going to be Binge because that's where they can consume all that product in the way that they've been used to consuming it on that standalone app. So... Again, it's a real partnership, you know, and equally going forward as things will remain in very close contact with them. So we know what's coming up. What can we market? What assets have they got? You know, can they send some athletes out, some 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 some, some entertainers, athletes um, out to 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 talk about the product and, and to really help promote their product, but thereby promoting our product and vice versa. So we're running we're running close to, to out of time, and I wanted to just throw a quick couple of questions at you before we wrap wrap things up. And that was around the monetization piece. We've talked about ARPU a little bit. We've talked about churn a little bit. Um, outside of the traditional means of generating revenues, are you actively looking at, you know, there's a lot of talk about sport, you know, technology, uh, Web3 and all these other innovations, NFTs and other collectibles, all these other things you can layer into those experiences. Are you actively looking at those as something you're going to be rolling out across platforms like KO um, to drive up the average revenues you're able to create, and obviously engagement and experience, of course, as well. For the for the moment, they are not in our sort of our top top ten hit list. To be honest, our innovation. I mean, we really, as I said, we're really known for our innovation, but that innovation is around our production, 
um, our, our sport, our commentary, our graphics, our stats, all the things that really bring a sporting event to life for the fans. So that's really our focus for the moment. I think obviously uh, in the entertain in the advertising space, rather, as I said, subscription revenue is of course our primary revenue stream. But with dynamic ad insertion and other ad tech and the rich data that we have now, which enables our advertising arm to provide even greater value to advertisers, we're investing a, a large amount of money in ad tech to make sure that we can really uh, maximize the ad revenue that we're getting out of our our, um, our all of our products, our entertainment and our sports products. Um, so that that's really where our, our investment has gone. Yes, there are you know NFTs and and other things. I mean, some of them are frankly sort of gimmicks. And and when you dig into them, most people say you know behind closed doors they'll say oh, no one's really making any money out of that. You know, it looks it sounds good, but no one's yeah. actually yeah. making any money out of it. Um, whereas you know we really are investing in, in our innovation and, and focus at the moment is in our ad tech and making sure that our products are absolutely the best. They are world-class products. They never crash. They don't buffer. They don't delay. They're just a beautiful, seamless uh, experience. And that is the best investment at the moment. And I said, in our production, that is something we're known for you know, globally um, and win awards for every year, the innovation in and around production. And that is something that you know we pride ourselves on. Our guys are always looking, keeping their finger on the pulse of what's happening globally. In some areas, leading the way. And in other areas, always, of course, cherry picking the best of what's happening around the world to say, oh, that's a great idea. Let's let's use that. Let's make sure we're the best we can be. So you, your job's chief commercial and content officer. That's an, in, that's an interesting and um, quite a big spectrum because you've got the, the monetization side and the content side, probably as complex. Um, to get all that right is, is probably as complex as anything. That's part of the whole reason of being a media business is trying working through those things. It must be really, I mean, obviously the, the industry has moved a long way and it's become more complex as we've sort of articulated in this conversation. But what are some of, what are some of those headaches that you're still facing today? Are there any areas that you're really, you're looking at as a, as a big challenge for the industry, let alone Foxtel Group itself that you're trying to work through right now? Or is it all smooth sailing and, and riding the wave of, uh, of, this, of this sort of streaming uh, revolution we're seeing? Oh, I wish. I wish for a day, just a day of smooth sailing would be fabulous. No, look, of course, you know, but this is why we're in this business, you know. This is why we've chosen this, this, this mad business because it's that thrill of, being creative, finding creative solutions. I think I wouldn't call it a headache, but I think the challenge for all of us is that everything is moving very, very quickly. And so, um, as I said, no deal we're doing today is the same as a deal we did a year ago, let alone two, three, four, five years ago. Every deal is, so the effort and the creativity and the structuring and the negotiation is probably more intense now than ever. A, because the competitive landscape is absolutely, it's hand-to-hand -hand combat every day. And, and everyone's changing. I mean, five years ago, there wasn't a, 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 the number, there wasn't a Paramount Plus also buying sports rights. There wasn't a Stan Sport also buying sports rights. These things, you know, Amazon in, in the market now has bought swimming rights in Australia. So the landscape was very different. And same with the entertainment landscape. That has changed dramatically in the last five years. So the, the landscape is changing quickly. It is hand-to-hand -hand combat. We've now got a lot of global players coming to a little market like Australia with our with our only 25 million, you know, people to 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 uh, to grab their attention and grab their share of wallet. So the challenge of of every deal being different and having to come up with new structures and fle everyone wants flexibility, but obviously there's a point at which where if you, if someone's got too much flexibility, you can't you can't get the value. So should the deal be two years? Should it be five years? Should it be? And we just did a seven year deal with the AFL. So what's the right length of term? What's the right optionality for you each to have? So you've got the optionality, but you're both still invested in the partnership. So these are the challenges of you've got to thread that needle. You've got to find a way through that to make sure at the end of the day, the deal has to be great for both parties. If it's not, it, it, it'll break down. You know, you won't have that shared investment of, of driving the, you know, driving through to get to really get the best value for both of you once you've signed that contract and hopefully put it in the drawer and never looked at it again because you've come into it. Yes. You won't get everything you want. There'll be a bit of hurt along the way, but ultimately you've got to drive a deal that that delivers value for both parties. That's the best kind of partnership. 
Absolutely. And that's probably a good place to wrap on. Otherwise, uh, buying a crystal ball might also help, I think, in this day and age <laughs> with the way things are changing. Uh, Amanda Lang, it's been great to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining us on the Streamtime podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Before you go, myself and Nick would just like to thank you for tuning into this episode of Streamtime. If you found the episode insightful, please make sure you like and subscribe on whichever platform you listen to. As a growing podcast, we'd greatly appreciate your support in sharing or writing a review. Ultimately, we want this podcast to not only entertain you, but also hopefully help you navigate the digital sports landscape. If you have any feedback on previous episodes or any topics and speakers you'd like to hear from in the future, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find myself and Nick Meacham on LinkedIn or on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at SportsProChris1. Nick can be found at SportsProNick. Of course, if you want to stay fully up to date on the sports business news cycle, please make sure to visit the Sports Pro Media website or sign up to one of our several newsletters to make sure you don't miss anything. Once again, thank you, and we look forward to you joining us next week on the Streamtime Podcast.